You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, the books inside them, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Please subscribe to Book Stories on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen. And thanks for helping us spread the word. This is a conversation I had with Karen Bender, author of the book, The New Order, a collection of stories about the world we occupy today and the myriad issues within it. It reminded me of another collection from a while back, Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies, and that's what prompted me to reach out to Karen. It was that good. I'm Karen Bender, author of The New Order. So what was your goal for this collection? I mean, I think the goal for um, this collection, which which is really the goal for everything that I write, which is to help people feel understood emotionally, to help people understand, um, you know, other people in different ways. And, um, you know, just to kind of try and express, uh, you know, feelings that, that one doesn't aren't expressed in regular life so much. Like I, what I like to do in, in fiction is, is explore the subconscious. In particular, this collection was engaging a lot with what was going on in the country. Um, and I feel that fiction could do something different than, say, a Facebook post or, you know, reading editorial can do. It reaches you in an emotional way. It reaches you in a way that's artistic. And cognitively, I feel there's something different about that. And so ultimately, my goal with writing is to help people feel less alone. So hopefully, these stories in some way help people do that. How many stories did you winnow down to the ones that made the cut? Oh, for this? Yeah, how much material? How many other stories did I have? That's a good question. Well, interestingly, this originally was a novella and some of the stories. And the novella was um, actually set... um, it was set in Taiwan, where we lived for a year, and it was trying to kind of deal with the idea of learning language, and, and it was actually about lies in a way, and, and about um, clair- like clarity learned through language and also emotional clarity as, as one is learning a language. And I sent that. I thought, I thought it was a pretty good novella, but I sent it um, with the other stories to my editor. My agent sent it. And and the the novella didn't make the cut. <laughs> it was just completely. It was kind of a wreck. But the other stories were dealing with kind of what was going on. And then I had to write a couple. I mean, I actually sold the book last October, and so I had to have a final version by April. So, it was, which is really quick for me. Like, <laughs> like for me, I'm pretty slow as a writer. So, to actually get things into shape like with that deadline was new, but, but good. And so two, so two stories that were pretty much written fully in that time were the department of happiness and reimbursement, which my first was my first dystopian story, which was really fun to write. And, um, where to hide in in a synagogue was kind of a 10 page list of instructions when I, when I turned it in. And then, um, my editors thought was make it a narrative. Did you have experience with that subject matter? Like hiding in a synagogue. Well, no, the no. The, the, the ten the checklist of ten, like was that a personal story? Um Oh no. No. What I that story originally, um so interesting. Everyone wants to know kind of what is the genesis of that story. It actually started when um 
I was driving carpool, and my daughter and her friend were in the back seat. And they were talking—this was a few years ago after, I think, the Aurora shooting um, in Colorado. And they were talking about what would be the best strategy to hiding in a movie theater if there's a shooting. Like, should you hide? Should you run out? They were like eight or nine at the time. Wow. Right. Way too deep. Yeah. And so it was horrifying. It was just horrifying listening to this. And But, you know, the horror then— you somehow find a way to work with it on the page. Like you try and control the chaos through through the narrative. So what I did is I started writing a, like a little flash fiction about where to hide a movie theater. And I just was kind of like took some notes and put it aside. And then after Charlottesville, I I was feeling kind of tense about, you know, safety in synagogues. And there was a story I read about um, these armed guys who were surrounding the synagogue in Charlottesville. And people who were there for Saturday services had to sneak out the back, you know, so they wouldn't, you know, encounter them. And I just thought, oh, you know, this feels actually um, like something to write about. So then I started writing, where would you hide in, in a synagogue? And then there were two friends. And so I thought, actually, this is also about a friendship. And so I was writing about the two friends, and then it didn't really have a shape. It just was—it had the kind of instructions of, you know, do this or that. And then at the end, there was the twist, which was the other—was one of the friends actually was a Trump supporter, which was also like, where's the danger, right? Is it in—is it between friends? Is it inside you? Is it in the world? You know, all those things are are, are present in the story. And then my editor, Dan Smetanka, said— make this a narrative with them walking through the synagogue and give give us a history of the friendship, which actually then deepened the story a lot. Yeah, the anecdote with yeah. the, the Torahs and fitting, oh, fitting in yeah, to the space. Yeah, and yeah. That's, I actually know people yeah. like that, like yeah, that, that yeah. think that way. Uh-huh, totally. Uh, life versus, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, this object. Like, right, um, right. And then where do you draw the line? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's the I, like uh, idol worship kind uh-huh, of right, you know, right, it's very sure. much like sure. uh, where you value things. Yeah. Um, what was your intention for the ending of the of the word of that hide, story of that story with the knocking? Yeah, without giving anything away. I just like, yeah. I mean, we, I think it, that was you know the idea is you want to leave your reader with a place of either hope, well, hope and hope and unease or hope and despair. Like I, that's why I tell all my. My students, um, you want to leave your your reader in a kind of in between place. You know, you don't want to just tell them what the ending is. You don't you don't want to tie everything up neatly in a bow. You don't want everything to be all good because because life feels like a balance of that. I think generally. So the end was really like, what is the danger that's knocking? I mean, is it between them? Because right before that happens, you know, there's that rift between the two friends. But then it's like, is it their old age? You know, is it, you know, just a de- is it a delivery boy? I don't know. Like, is it just who knows what it is? You know. Yeah. Um, but that the feeling that you have, you know, I think right now, I think a lot of people targeted by by the administration is this unease, and that danger could come at any place at any time. Do you subscribe to the axiom "show don't tell"? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that's a way for a reader to participate, you know, that you're in scene, you know, that you're actually um, kind of bringing in your own, you're you're with the the character as as they're going through the experience. But sometimes you need to tell, too. You know, some writers do a lot of telling, too. I heard in in, in film or like in TV, they they have a character known as Irving Explainer. 
Oh. <laughs> you know, the, there's always yeah. that character that comes yeah. in and cleans up all the stuff that you don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in general, um, my own curiosity, yeah. um, places of worship in general, yeah. how do congregations protect people generally? Like, is there somewhat a uniform process or habit? Oh, my gosh, what a great question. I think it really varies. I have heard of synagogues where you actually have to walk through like an airport security gate. Before you go in, yeah. you know, so that they can check for guns or whatever. I, you know, some temples don't, you know, right? Like, Is there and, a sneaker policy where they recommend you wear sneakers? No, this is all totally made up. That's okay. <laughs> but you've heard, you know what I'm talking about? No. Like, so that you can run faster well, in case it. of danger. Right. Like, don't wear, like, heels or don't wear decorative shoes, I guess. Well, that, I mean, that's in the story. Yeah. But that's totally made up. Yeah. Yeah. That, they're, and, and no one wants to give up the decorative shoes. <laughs> I mean, I certainly wouldn't. So I think, um, you know, I do think it varies, but I think there is a lot of awareness, you know. Um, State of the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, not only synagogues, mosques, of you know, course, churches, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. It's just weird. Any place of public gathering, really. Every place know? of public gathering, um, right. And what, what place did we see that showed that um, the, the Las Vegas, the the, the, oh. con- the outdoor music concert? Right, the country um, music, con- right, the, that the hotel. Con- yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. like, it's crazy. It's weird. And, you know, it's, I guess one thing I want to explore in it, and I explore it in some of my other stories in my collection, Refund 2, which is effects of of shootings is, you know, just what is the emotional cost of living with that as Americans now? Because growing up, I don't, there that didn't happen. You know, I mean, like people would shoot each other, but there weren't these assault rifle horrible incidents. No, for me, it's gr- new. For me growing up, it was just the Oklahoma City bomber, really. That was like right. the big story. Right, that was. Um, and that was like one. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Um. I'm going to move to the elevator. I have a couple, mm, a couple yeah. of stories in particular I want to focus uh-huh. on, but sure. I want to go back to pace for a minute. You're a, uh-huh. you're, you're a teacher, so I want to learn from you. Oh. Talk about pace. <laughs> yeah. uh, the flow in the entire series is is kind of undulating at times, and at times it's arresting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think about pace and flow when you write, mm. or is it yeah. subconscious for you? Great, qu- great question. I, every story has its own pace. You know, some are more urgent than others. Um, I do feel... My own patience when I start a story is kind of limited. Like, I will not, <laughs> I want to just get into the story and get into action and everything quickly. You know, and I, I, I tell my students that you need to have, you know, a question that the, that the reader has as they start the story. You know, either an emotional question or, you know, what's going to happen. Like with the elevator, it would be how does she deal with the, with the trauma, you know, emotionally. And then vertical is, you know, how does she does she get out of the elevator, right? So you have those two questions the reader is kind of grap- kind of following as they read. And that kind of creates pace. Because the where to hide in a synagogue to yeah. the elevator, the pace from the first story to the second was dramatic. You know, the... Slower the, and then it's faster. The synagogue built up to something. Yeah. Whereas elevator, something really bad happens right at the beginning. Right. And you're kind of like, whoa, okay. yeah. yeah. That's what I mean by it's like... Oh, it's different. Yeah, yeah. that is totally different. Yeah. yeah, I mean, every story kind of tells you how to tell it. Yeah. You know, like everyone is going to be different. The elevator, you know, it's interesting. I read, I wrote that after the whole Access Hollywood tapes were released and everyone, you know, every, all you heard all these stories and yeah. I just felt like I really wanted to sort of take a story and just kind of show the effect of it, you know, like over years, right? So, um, 
Can you talk about the timing of that particular story with the recent Kavanaugh hearings? Was that just I mean, that was timing? finished. That was finished, was finished way before. Yeah, I was actually trying to place it. <laughs> or no, actually it had been placed and it was waiting to come out. Because that's what out. I was thinking when I yeah. was reading it. Yeah. I was like, this is a I know, Christine right. Blasey Ford story. <gasps> I know. And when she said that thing about the second door, I felt, I just started crying because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, she, that's an image. That's an image that stayed with her. And it's just like... It's sad. I mean, it's just like you, these things are just so, I mean, it's really great that they're open and out, but it's just, yeah, you just see how the culture needs to change. The different facets, so um, congregation protection, yeah. uh, un- employment, right, and immigration. Right. Sure. Well, did you yeah. have all these topics mapped out before you started writing stories or did it kind of process? No. I mean, it's interesting. I tend to not be a, like a planner writer. Okay. You know, some writers are like, they'll have like big, big like sheets and diagrams and things. And I'm not that at all. I, I tend to blunder a lot as I write. So sometimes I'll have kind of a, a vague structure and I won't know kind of how to get to one point, you know, and then to another, but then I'll, you kind of just figure it out. And I do feel like your subconscious gets you places that are interesting. If you just keep kind of writing and, you know, go places that are interesting to you, it will all have some sort of unified, co- it'll have cohesion at some point. Um, so in three interviews, yeah. uh, this is a story about employment and yeah. immigration. Yeah. I especially enjoyed that it was two different people in their own heads going through yeah. the machinations of their encounter together. <laughs> right. Which is what all of us do <laughs> yeah, in many yeah. respects. Yeah. Very relatable on many levels. Good. Um, you have a powerful line in it. The corrosive, luxurious domain of other people's pity. Can you can you parse that? Um, I think you know it's interesting. You know, as a writer, as a teacher, um, you know, with many friends that are writers and artists of different sort. You know, employment. You know, making money is is an ongoing issue, right? So I think. And then in a culture that's very focused on money and um, earning and valuation, by that, it's hard to, it's hard science to feel important or, you know, that the work that you're doing is, is important in that, in that sort of context. So I think pity is something that is, almost, I feel like it's used a lot in capitalism to make people feel bad. And it's, it's unfortunate, you know, because I think... People are struggling and they're trying and all, you know, all these different ways. And sometimes things will go well and sometimes not. And it really has nothing to do with merit often. It just has to do with luck, I think. There's a lot of luck. So I think that was relating to that. The New Order is the title story. Yeah. What inspired that? (laughs) That story, it's interesting. It came about a few, through a few different avenues, I think the genesis of it was this this friend of ours um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. We, we lived for a long time, and he had a friend. He was he's in his seventies. He has a friend who visited him after many years, and um, he said his he would his friend was kind of talking and and just was full of just chatting with him, and he realized the friend was actually in love with him, and he didn't. It was it was interesting. He hadn't realized that. And I, I just remember him telling us about that. And I thought, so interesting to think about someone nourished by kind of different sorts of love in a way that, that people have, you know. So I held that. I was like, I wanted to write some, something about someone visiting. And then also a story about a misunderstanding, which was responding to a story by Alice Monroe called Fiction. And I think all stories 
in some way, in conversations with other stories that you've read and that, that you really just love, you know. And so that story is an amazing story, which has a woman that um, that's involved with a, with someone, and then he has an affair, and they get divorced, and she's devastated. And years later, the daughter of the of the woman that sort of took her place wrote a book, and she goes to the reading, and she's afraid how she's going to be portrayed in the book. And actually, she's portrayed really well in the book. Like, she's actually this really kind of benevolent figure, which is interesting. So, I, wow, that's so—I love that, that whole idea of this mistake, you know, or this, like, misunderstanding. So I want to put that in. And then the the third part is is I needed something— in the past to motivate them. And so I just started thinking of junior high school orchestra, which was, which I was in. Did you play the cello? I did play the cello. And I, you know, it was a really intense time of life. And I, that orchestra, it was actually, um, it was here in LA at um, Paul Revere Junior High. And I mean, that orchestra is very different from the orchestra in the, in the, in the story. And, um, there was no shooting in Paul Revere, but it was, I just wanted to write about it and just sort of the competition between, you know, the musicians and friendships between women, which are incredibly rich and interesting. And I feel like not mind enough. So, yeah. So those were all the elements that came into play with that story. I was feeling a little whiplash when I was reading it, the movie Whiplash, the story. Oh, interesting. You know, just because of the competition of, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, of musicians and then wanting to like get first chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also I, I suspected that you played the cello because the way you described the way that it yeah. feels on your body uh-huh. when you hold it, that's, yeah. that's something that you either heard somewhere or you actually know yourself. Uh uh-huh, Sure. So, sure. Um, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. And I told you earlier as a off mic, as a failed musician, I oh, right. very much know the feeling of the instruments that yeah. I wanted to play. Oh, nice. That's interesting. Good. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> the cell phones. Yeah. Is the last story. Yeah. Um, the story read to me like a story about how difficult it is to live in the moment. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Since this was the last story in the collection, what message were you trying to leave readers with here? Right. Um, interesting. I mean, that originally started as the first story, actually, that I wrote before any of this happened, which was just like an assignment that a friend of mine had given me. Uh, she said, can you send me a story for um, the Saranac Review? And so I said, uh... Okay, and so I, I had actually recently had, an, sadly, had an experience like this at Temple where my cell phone did go off <laughs> during Rosh Hashanah services, which was really mortifying. And I just thought, well, it'd be interesting to write about it and then have all the cell phones go off and everyone's, you know, listening to people in pain. So I had that original, and then my editor, Dan, said, well, what if we connect it more to, you know, the election or the, you know, the country? And And it made sense, you know, to lead out. And it is more hopeful. And I do feel more hopeful. You know, I I do. Ultimately, I am hopeful. You know, I mean, I just see what's puzzling to me is some of these people in power. They're just completely uncomprehensible, you know. But I think on the ground, you know, people that you know, I do feel like I do feel like people are capable of change. You know? Well, a lot of things changed just in the last couple of days, right? The new, oh gosh, the new yeah. Congress, yeah, which is yeah. A, you know, it's like which it's is a makes nice, feel, yeah. at least fresh air in the in the building. Yes, well, some I've, oxygen yeah. in the building. Oh my gosh! Well, I think I have felt. I was t- I was telling someone this that for the last couple of years, it has felt like a steel plate sort of pressing down on my head, like all the time. And now it's kind of lifted a little. You yeah, know, like oh, yeah. there are people that you know, kind of have the country's interests at you know, at heart. Yeah. 
as opposed to God knows what. Yeah. It's hard to know. There's some truth to the the notion that, uh, you know, the the political climate ebbs and flows, but it always yeah. Yeah. It always ends up getting back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to swing in one direction or the other, I guess, to achieve that. But it would be nice if we could make those swings <laughs> slightly more, you know, I know, not, not less, as extreme. Less extreme, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's really an interesting time. I mean, it's scary, but it, 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 hopefully it'll end up okay. You teach, you teach creative writing to undergrads. Mm-hmm. What are one or two things you want your students to take away from their time with you? Oh, great question. Well, one is honesty, that honest writing um, is kind of the basis for all good writing. You know, that, that we're told, you know, not to be honest or, or true in our lives and to actually say something that feels true to you, that you're embarrassed about, that you don't want to share, is what other people will understand, right? Um, so I think that's important. And then the next thing is revision. You know, revision is, is what makes all stories better. You know, that, that it's not going to be genius or, or amazing, the first draft. And that's okay. And I think a lot of them have that. I don't know where they get that myth. But it's kind of prevalent, right? That if, if you can't just do it and have great talent, you know, and write it down, then, you know, you can't do it. But actually what you find is if you, you write a bad first draft, you know, or you write a, you know, um, something that's a mess and you go back to it over and over and over, it gets really good. And you never know what you actually can do if you stay with it long enough. Hmm. Yeah. So I feel really, when I realized that, it was like really relief as a writer. What are you reading right now? Oh, my gosh, so many things. Well, you know, I had read the first Ferrante book, My Brilliant Friend, and then the, the other three I hadn't, um, I hadn't read yet. And we just saw the series, you know, which was amazing. And, and I just thought, I've got to just read all these. I've just got to read them, all of them. So I'm reading those, which are just incredible. I mean, have you read them? Or, ah, oh, it should be next week. I mean, they're just amazing, amazing books, um, really about, about friendship and just the depth of it. Um, and, and just the complexity of these women's lives is awesome. Yeah. Who's the author? It's Elena Ferrante is okay. the writer. Yeah, she's Italian. Um, what else am I reading? Well, I started reading The Best American Short Stories by Roxane Gay, um, her collection, that, that her, the one she selected from last year. And there's an amazing story by Carolyn Farrell, who's a friend of mine, um, called The History of China, which is about a family reunion told from all different points of view. It's just a, a beautiful story. Um, what else? How do you decide what to read? What are your filters? That's a great question. Um, you know, it is hard for me to, I mean, often, a lot of what I was reading like this, this last six months was to get ready for a short story class I was teaching. So I, I was uh, kind of finding short stories that I really liked and then stories that they were connecting to, that they were responding to. So that was kind of story fiction for work. Um, you know, I think word of mouth. I mean, you know, you see what people are reading. Um, you know, a lot of, often what I end up reading are a lot of my friends, you know, or people that I know, you know, read, you know, they have something out, so I'll read that. But otherwise, yeah, just, you know, I think, I think it's just kind of what, what you think you'll, will speak to you. You know, it changed a lot, too. You know, I was reading, it was interesting, I was reading a little bit more dystopian. I was reading Handmaid's Tale and some Ursula Le Guin. And I just thought, oh, I really want to read more of this. You know, so I think you just you just kind of let your reading go where, where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a serial reader? Do you read multiple things at a time, or are you pretty good? Not so much. Mostly, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. 
Um, it's a disease. <laughs> um, what do you? What book have you recommended the most to people? Oh my god. Or, it or, or, varies. Or, or I could even yeah. I could make it simpler. I'll, uh, a few that I love. Uh, a, a short story, like 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 two or three short stories for someone who's an aspiring oh, yeah. short story writer. What are what is the oh. canon? What is canon? Oh for God! You? Oh my God! Well, there's so I mean the canon is so wide and vast and you know evolving and you know I I don't feel like it really depends on what the student wants to achieve. You know, because I, I mean, I have in my class, I'll have students that are super realists and ones that are super sci-fi and, you know, ones that are in between and ones that, you know, I mean, only want to write really funny things. Or, you know, so I think it I think you can't have one story for everyone. I think you really have to have a variety. OK, so I really listen to what my students are trying to do. I try to find things I think they like. I mean, some of my favorite stories, maybe let's stay on Earth. Earthly stories, so no sci-fi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, earthly stories. Um, I mean, some of my favorite stories, like um, you're mentioning interpretive maladies, Jim Pilhera. I mean, I teach that all the time. I mean, I love that story. I don't know why that story hasn't become a movie yet. It's such a— It's not? Oh, that's it's crazy. It's such a, like, <gasps> visceral story. Yeah, it that, is. Um, it is. Oh, my gosh. It's one, of the, it's one of the short stories that you don't want it to be short. Does that make sense? No, it feels like a novel. Go. Yeah. Like, go yeah. more. There's yeah. more there. Oh, yeah. It's almost yeah. like a song that ends. Yeah. And you're like, can you play that loop I again? Know. You know. Well, those are the best stories, the ones yeah. that feels like they can yeah. step out of them. I teach Transactions in a Foreign Currency by Deborah Eisenberg a lot, which is just another story that just feels like it should be bigger than, you know, its borders. Um, Raymond Carver, Are These Actual Miles, is a fantastic story. Um, Isaac Babel, I just love. My First Goose is a really great story. And then I just paired that with Dennis Johnson, Car Crash While Hitchhiking, because apparently Dennis Johnson loved Isaac Babel. Um, I haven't read any of his stuff, and I've seen that President Obama has put him on multiple lists. Oh, people, Dennis Johnson? Yeah. Oh, he's, about, he's so great. Yeah. yeah, really beautiful, amazing voice. Yeah. He passed away, right? Yeah, yeah, this last year. Yeah. His last collection came out this year, which I haven't read yet. Um, who else? Um, I mean, Alice Monroe is, I mean, amazing. Laurie Moore. I love Laurie Moore. She has a, her collection, Like Life, I'm always recommending to people. What are some of your favorite bookstores? I mean, you know, any independence, you know, really, like I tend not to go into the big chain so Does much. the one where you grew up, does your childhood bookstore oh, still exist? Bro, oh, Dutton's. No, Dutton's was a landmark yeah. bookstore. I, I mean, I went there. I mean, was it Dutton's when I was growing up? I don't, I mean, we went there. Dutton's and then turned into Diesel. Diesel is in the, is, in the country is, is, mark. Yeah, yeah. So that's different. But Dutton's was was on uh, San Vicente across from Brentwood Elementary School. And we'd go there after school. And, you know, and then actually right before, like, our wedding, we did a reading there, which was incredibly great. And I did all my readings for my books until it closed. So that that was a sad day, you know, because that, that was a really important bookstore. And you see, you know, I mean, you go into Diesel in, in the Mart and it's, it's bustling. It's wonderful. You yeah. know, so it just feels like, you know, there's such important parts of the community. You know, there's this, uh, you know, in Wilmington, there was um, Old Books on Front Street was a, a fantastic bookstore. Um, I had a couple of book parties there. The owner there, Gwenifar Rollers, fantastic. And there's Pomegranate Books also in Wilmington. Was, You know, so there are all these, um, and so many in New York. I mean, I just read at McNally Jackson, which yeah. was great. Yeah. So I think when you go into independent bookstores, you just feel this, 
you know, rush of energy and energy and happiness and, yeah. you know, intelligence. And it's just, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I asked that question. I just like to know where, where, people, where people hang out at yeah. you know, bookstores because, you know, the, the myth that they're going away, they're actually not. They're not. They're, 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 they're more. There's more. And but, yeah. they're, they're just great places to hang out. They're yeah. Great, great places to like cross generationally hang out too. Yes. Grandparents and parents mm-hmm. and kids can exist yeah. in a space together yeah. and not want to kill each other. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Absolutely. The book is The New Order. Karen, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Book Stories. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Wright for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening.